Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about how are restaurants going to change? And then a story uh, out of Cedarville University we're going to discuss. That's what's coming up next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Everybody, welcome to The Common Good on this rainy Wednesday. We hope you're doing well. For Ian Simpkins, I'm Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us today. Uh, As always, you can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show online. Uh, 1160hope.com. Find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Uh, subscribe, rate, and review. In a big day today, first day since we went in, I don't know if we're calling this a quarantine, but first day since all of this that I got Starbucks. And if you know, I used to come to the studio every day with Starbucks, and today was day one. So I'm very happy, probably a little jumpy today because of it. Yeah, you have a legitimate addiction, and we've been worried about you for years. <laughs> I don't think it's a legitimate addiction. I just went six weeks without it. That sounds like an addict. <laughs> but uh, it was uh, it was very nice. It, I'm I'm very excited about the Starbucks. It put a little bit of sunshine on an otherwise ugly, ugly day today, rainy day. But uh, yeah, it was it was good. Uh, I actually went to the drive-through line at Starbucks. It is normally. And it was only like two cars long. This Starbucks, the only one open up in here, North Downers Grove or so. Uh, there were days where I heard it was almost an hour long. Now, those are people with an addiction. I was not willing to do that. But this one, only two cars in front of us. So I think blame shifting is the second sign of an addiction, Brian. Maybe it is. I'm just I'm enjoying <laughs> I'm enjoying this very much. <laughs> That's the third sign of an addiction. <laughs> Good point. Well, we are glad to be with you today. It is rainy. It is dreary out there. uh, But we are uh, hopefully going to give you a little bit of good news today and some things to think about as we've been doing each and every day throughout. uh, Gosh, it's been five or six weeks now, ever since uh, the kind of the stay at home order has begun. And we've been in our houses. We've been trying to update you as to where we are uh, on the coronavirus pandemic. And so, The United States is up over a million confirmed cases, almost 60,000 deaths right now. At the same time, uh, some states are starting to reopen. They're starting to loosen, uh, while other states like ours are kind of staying pretty strict to this stay-at-home order. I think that's this next wave as to uh, what is each state going to do. A couple different articles that I found, a couple different things uh, that maybe are encouraging, and that's this. found this one thing, the coronavirus is currently eliminated in New Zealand. The country of New Zealand says that the measures they took, they pretty much have no coronavirus. Is that encouraging, Ian, or is that just completely has nothing to do with us? <laughs> I mean, how could that not be encouraging? What kind yeah. of monster would I be You're like? Oh, I don't don't care about that <laughs> news at all. I'm not encouraged in the slightest by that information. <laughs> I just like hearing somewhere where they're like, nope, we're good. We're going back to life. I'm like, okay, good. We've got a light at the end of the tunnel here. So uh, here's the second one that I found really interesting. Restaurantbusinessonline.com. So we'll have this up on our Facebook page. It's already there, actually. I saw some people commenting on it. Um, they were kind of guessing what are some of the ways restaurants are going to be different uh, when all of this is said and done, and they said one of the main reasons, one of the main ways that restaurants could end up being different is anywhere where you go up and you grab silverware or where it's more communal. But the biggest thing is this could they were theorizing this could eliminate the buffet. 
that uh-huh. the buffet might go away for good because of the germs and everybody. A, are you a buffet fan? And B, how do you feel about this possibly uh, long-term effect on the buffet? Well, color me embarrassed. I thought this article was about Jimmy Buffett. So I need to, uh, <laughs> Good I one. Need to reread. So we posted it a few hours ago. Julie Anderson said, I feel like if they can change the style to cafeteria style like Ikea has with more serving allowed for that buffet style price, that could work. Uh, Isaiah said, I thought the buffet would be done in the 80s. And Maggie said, I hope so. I never liked any kind of self-service food, even food bars, especially during flu season. The disease just reaffirms my opinion. So uh, obviously people are a little divided. I don't, I mean, I have in the past certainly fancied a salad bar or two. So like there's part of me that wonders if uh, if that's a big shift. I guess I don't, it's been a long time though since I've been to like a buffet style anything. I used to go like on the regular, there was a Chinese buffet in Bartlett where I was at, that was just like our go to, but I, yeah, I mean, I, at, at some level, like for me, it's, it still is an economic concern. Like, yeah. Like what kind of impact will that have on the restaurant owners and the city? And I mean, those things are certainly worth considering. I saw a post earlier today from a buddy of mine and he posted a screenshot of his profits via like Grubhub and DoorDash and from, you know, like twelve hundred or twelve thousand dollars worth of sales, he was able to take home a little less than four hundred. And he was kind of ranting a little bit about how much they're being gouged by all of these other, you know, fees and services in association with Grubhub, but kind of lamenting like, hey, we don't really have an option otherwise. Like I'm wondering if buffets have an opportunity or a chance to kind of pivot a little bit. But then again, I don't the pivot doesn't seem all that great either. So I don't know, man, it, it, it feels really, really scary to be a restaurant owner right now, regardless. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of those, you start to wonder when are they just going to be like, Hey, we've got to open up. And that's one of the hard ones. Uh, I did want to end this, uh, this segment with some good news of something we talked about the other day uh, at WBBM 780.radio.com. Are we allowed to give their website? I just did. Um, sure. Yeah. They posted an article uh, that says this, you know, remember the other day we talked about the the rise in domestic violence and how uh, I thought we were able to have a, a real good discussion around, hey, for some of us, it's just kind of annoying to be, uh, you know, to have to navigate marital or parenting things at this time. But if somebody in an abusive relationship, uh, this is really bad having to be in your house right. together for this long. Uh, and this article says that Airbnb is providing rooms to victims of domestic abuse, that they are mm-hmm. using some of their rooms for through Airbnb. And uh, I just found that to be a really encouraging um, a next step here, because I remember when we did that article the other day, uh, it was it was like, oh, man, like what's uh, th- there feels like no solution to that. Right. Like people are just kind of locked up and and it could get really bad. And so Airbnb uh, trying to be part of the solution. And so if you're out there and you're in that sort of uh, struggle and, you, and you're in an abusive relationship, maybe look into this. Uh, or if you know somebody, maybe pass this on. But um, it's always good to see a corporation or a company like this taking a step uh, to kind of help, if you will, the common good and kind of help those that are most in need. I found that encouraging. Yeah. And anyone listening that is or knows someone who is in a dangerous situation, you can call 877-863-6338. That's 877-863-6338. And it is, I mean, for me, it's encouraging because 
like we've said since this whole shutdown, there's going to be a whole lot more residual effects than just simply the disease itself, the virus right. itself. There's going to be, uh, like we've said, a lot of things that we couldn't even possibly predict. And it's been encouraging at the very least to see corporations, even you know, really massive corporations say, okay, so we have a part to play in the solution um, or at least in aiding the you know part of what a solution could look like. And that's why we do the good news segment, just because there's a lot of negativity, a lot of fear, a lot of uncertainty. It is, I think, worth at least celebrating resources like this, um, not just to celebrate them. And I'm not saying it's a perfect model. I'm not saying that right. Airbnb is a perfect company, but at the very right. least, it's going after like a very real need, a very urgent need. And uh, I, I applaud their efforts in going after that. Yeah. So uh, I just know when we had this discussion and we did, I think it was a Chicago Sun-Times article the other day, it was an eye-opener for me. I hadn't even really considered it. And those percentages were so disheartening. And so to see a company doing, uh, doing some good around this, uh, like you said, uh, is an encouragement. And uh, hopefully it, is, it, it helps some people who need help. Well, we're off and running here on this uh, rainy Wednesday. Uh, but uh, coming up next, Christianity Today highlighted a troubling situation at a Cedarville University that we're going to discuss next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Uh, as always, you can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Find us on Twitter at Common Good Talk, online 1160 Hope. Dot com And as always, get our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, review. Ian, I will tell you uh, that there was somebody who told me they walked out their back door and yelled to try to get our podcast and it didn't work. What you said the other day did not work. What? Yep. Yep. You said just yell to the trees and it would come on. And they said, nope, didn't happen. I don't think I said to the trees. I think I said into the ether. Is into probably, the ether, which yeah. could in- involve the trees. <laughs> well, they, they may have a shortage of ether in their backyard, though. That might be the problem. They should call their city council and get an ether reading. That would really help out, I think. An ether reading. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's it's, funny. It's well, e- ether said than done. <laughs> Good. Don't, you, want, no. you want to just keep going? You want to just don't keep encourage, going? Don't encourage me. No, 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 no. An ethernet joke in there somewhere, too. Let's just keep going. Uh, we, could, we could wait till ether Sunday. <laughs> You could ether do that joke or a different one. I'm not sure. (laughs) Boy, you hear that, Brian? That's the sound of radios being turned off all across the city. Phones, not only the podcast being turned off, but literally phones being thrown. (laughs) Right. Smashing against walls. Um, So I want to talk about an article out of Christianity Today uh, that looks at something that just happened at Cedarville uh, that then they use as a jumping off point to maybe a bigger topic. Uh, in the evangelical world. Before we tackle what's kind of a hard subject, let's first hear about some good news from Thrivent. Yeah, a couple of things. So I'm a Thrivent member. I love Thrivent. Been around. I mean, I've been with Thrivent for close to eight years, and uh, they're a Fortune 500 non-for-profit that's been around for a century. You can learn more at Thrivent.com. Also, though, uh, they are hiring. So if you're looking for a career change, you know, kind of entrepreneurial, or you just like helping people, like you like coming alongside people, even if you don't necessarily consider yourself like a finance person, there's a, there's a lot of opportunities in this organization. So you can go to thrivent.com slash careers for that information. Plus, and this is totally in line with how they are constantly focused on like giving back and resourcing people. They made a bunch of uh, webinars available and there's like three or four more coming up in the next week or so to help with all this quarantine stuff, to mental health stuff. How do you stay sane? How do you maintain joy? How do you deal with stress? So we're posting those links on the Facebook page, we can also go to thriving.com slash Chicagoland and learn more about all those webinars. 
And uh, I don't think you'll regret doing that. So this is a this is a subject that we've unfortunately had to cover multiple times. Uh, but let me just read the beginning of this uh, story. It's a hard story uh, out of Christianity Today, and it, it brings up a bigger question. So this is out of Christianity Today. Uh, another case of a leader with an abusive past moving from one evangelical institution to another has, identif- has intensified scrutiny on Christian hiring practices and responses to abuse. In ministry context, the desire to keep fallen leaders out of positions where they might again abuse their authority is sometimes met with another perspective, a hope that a redemptive and a forgiving God would allow people to be restored to leadership. Both victims, advocates, and community members worry that administrators weighing those considerations at Cedarville University made the wrong call. So here's the story. In 2017, Cedarville welcomed Anthony Moore six months after he was fired from the lead pastor position at the Village Church's Fort Worth campus. President Thomas White wrote that he offered to shepherd Moore through a five-year plan of restoration at the conservative Baptist school while he taught theology, helped coach basketball, and served as a special advisor on on diversity. Uh, Christianity Today spoke with four current and former Cedarville professors who said they knew Moore had made a, quote, mistake uh, related to same-sex attraction and technology based on White's introduction and Moore's own telling. But some assumed pornography or an online relationship. They had no idea that he had reportedly filmed a subordinate at his previous church uh, in the shower. The revelation detailed by multiple bloggers and journalists uh, who focus on abuse in the church led to Moore's firing on Thursday. One faculty member said, at no point was I given enough information by Moore to assume sexual abuse or manipulation was involved. And I believe this to be true uh, of all of my colleagues. And then it goes into more background of here. And um, so sadly, these stories are becoming less and less of a surprise. Uh, but this bigger question, maybe you could comment what you thought when you just heard about the story, but but then tell me what your thoughts are. This bigger thing that they were introducing in this article, uh, that especially in the Christian world, there there seems to be with many a quickness to bring people back into leadership, to restore into leadership, and the danger that that is. And so what do you think as, and you and I have talked about this before, but but this whole topic of restoration and leadership, when you read stories like this, what's it make you think? I, you know, I want to give leaders and churches the benefit of the doubt and assume that they're being really rigorous and thorough in their hiring. Like part of what goes on here, White apologized for hiring more, saying the decision was made without all the information and was primarily motivated by James 5.19, which calls on Christians to help those who wander from the truth turn from the error of their ways. You and I have mentioned this before, and I'll say it again. Um, Someone being disqualified from leadership doesn't mean they're no longer a Christian, but it does mean in some cases they've disqualified themselves from leadership, sometimes permanently, sometimes maybe a minimum of some years. You know, we've talked about Darren Patrick and some of his journey of restoration and how kind of long and patient that was and not just this quick turnaround, like, well, need to find me a job. I'm not unsympathetic, I guess, to man, people need employment, but it doesn't have to be in leadership and it doesn't have to be in the instances, environments where you are entrusted with the care of other people where it can be exploited. I mean, I don't know. This stuff makes me so mad yeah. and it's so frustrating because, and we've talked about this, not just in the religious sphere, but we do the same thing in athletics the same thing in Hollywood. 
if it's someone, if it's a running back that's really good for our team, like, yeah, we'll sort of shake a finger, but we really need him back on the field because he's good for the team. I unfortunately think often the church falls into that same temptation, that same error, like, well, okay, yeah, that thing was legitimately awful, but man, is he a good preacher? (laughs) Or man, does he cast great vision? I'm like, that is fine. But that's that should never be elevated above the safety of the congregation. And I think that we've gotten that horrifically out of whack when we elevate vision casting and preaching over like the care and safety of that's our right. people. And again, White saying he didn't have all the information. I, I can imagine somebody, especially if they're like a serial manipulator or at the very least a pathological liar, you could have 17 interviews and that person could still not tell you the truth. Now there's, you know, in some cases where you there, you could take legal courses of action to figure out the real backstory. Right. But if the person's just like perpetually dishonest, that's that's hard to really weed that out in an interview environment, which to me is super unfortunate. But I, I yep. just think I think we have to do better. And what's troubling in this story to me is later on the article it says the village church confirmed in a statement to Christianity Today that while the church kept aspects of the story confidential at the direction of the victim, then they were quoted as saying, we did thoroughly inform Cedarville University about all of the known details of Anthony's offense and reiterated clearly that we did not believe he was fit for ministry of any kind. Uh, and so, you know, if you're told that, it feels like uh, y- you can't hire the guy. Uh, but we keep seeing this, as you said, over and over again uh, in the Christian world and, like you said, all over the place, uh, business world, sports world. Uh, but it feels like the bar has got to be higher for Christians, uh, for, for Christian organizations uh, and churches. And, and it does feel like there's a lot of uh, good steps being made, but then things like this kind of send us backwards. So you can read this story. It's at Christianity Today, and it's been in other places on Julie Royce's blog and in other places. But you can read this at our Facebook page, The Common Good Radio Show. And uh, our prayer, our hope in highlighting these uh, is just that we would do better. We would all do better as as a Christian world in our hiring practices. Well, coming up next, uh, a tweet I saw from Tim Keller, pastor out in New York City, uh, that I wanted to highlight and have a discussion about. That's coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Ian, you do know what today is. Oh, uh, no. I, hold on. Let me... Hmm. Uh, is it another word for Wednesday? <laughs> no, it escapes me. Let's spend the rest of the segment with me making thinking noises. <laughs> Some people mm. are like, yes, please do. It's hump day. Oh, hump boy. day. I'm yes, it, I'm is. it is Wednesday. Although, uh, you know, every day seems like the same day right now, but hopefully you're having yourself a good week. And uh, we're glad to be together. And uh, find us on Facebook, Twitter, get our podcast, wherever it is you get your podcast. Before we jump into this next discussion, I do want to remind you about something uh, very positive and good that we're doing here at the radio station. Because during this coronavirus pandemic, we're fully aware that many businesses have had to close their doors or reduce their hours. But we also know that there are still many businesses that are open and serving the public as best as they can. So if you own or run a business... Uh, that's open and operating, we want to help you get that word out. Right now, go to 1160hope.com slash open for business. That's 1160hope.com slash open for business, all one word. 
Uh, fill out the brief form that you'll find there, and we're going to compile all of that information and share it with our listeners. It's totally free, no catch. So go to 1160hope.com slash open for business. Okay, really good, but also another thing I need to let you know, today is National Shrimp Scampi Day. It's National Zipper Day. It's National Word Stationary Day. (laughs) It's National Stop Food Waste Day. It's National Denim Day. National International Dance Day, uh, International Guide Dog Day. A lot of, lot of things today besides hump day, just to let you know. But not one of those is something that I feel I would want to celebrate. Like oh, shrimp, shrimp my, guess is, my guess is you're wearing denim from head to toe right now. Don't pretend like you want to love with denim. <laughs> I was going to give you, yes, I am wearing jeans, but not the head to toe, no. Uh, what was it? National Word what day? Oh, I already closed the window. Oh, uh, you close it. Okay. That just as a reminder, it's a, it's a day. Uh, there's a, there's always a lot of things on each day that are, are being celebrated. Shrimp scampi, not a fan. How about you? Is that a controversial oh, take? Love, love me some scampi. Do you really? Okay, mm-hmm. I'm not a I'm not a shrimp fan in general, but that's uh, I know that's on me. So, breaking news on the common good. <laughs> Tim Keller. Tim Keller is a well known uh, pastor. He's the founder of Redeemer Presbyterian Church. Uh, in New York City, he is no longer. I don't. I believe he's no longer like the day-to-day leading pastor there. But he has handed that off. But he founded that church in New York City. Uh, prolific author, speaker, uh, just uh, somebody that I, I know. I love to read and love to follow. Well, at Twitter, uh, he said this, uh, and I, I want to get your take on it, and then we're going to discuss it. Bad evangelism says. All right, so he's going to define. He's going to give us some bad evangelism here. He says, "Bad evangelism says I'm right, you're wrong, and I would love to tell you about it." Uh, I think we would agree with that, but do you think that is the tact that uh, many people take when it comes to evangelism, uh, evangelism, Ian? I don't know that many people are thinking about evangelism in general. I, I do feel huh. like mission missiology is far more in the spotlight now than just sort of what, I mean, you and I both grew up CMA. We have talked about some of our evangelism training. We've both been to Operation Good News which is where you're trained as like a high school student in exactly this kind of evangelism, to be honest, sort of, Hey, let me tell you why you're wrong. I remember being instructed when I was like 14 or 15, it was like a cheat sheet. And it was like, if you encounter a Muslim, just tell them this boom, Uh if you encounter a Mormon, just read them this bam. Like, and even like as like 14, I was like, wait a minute, their entire Theology falls apart with that one response. Is that true? Like that feels strange to me, but I didn't, I didn't know what to do with that. So, and again, I, I don't think that's the CMA's fault. I think this is something that a lot of us have sure. grown in and progressed in over the years, but I don't, I honestly, in my own spheres, at least I don't hear a whole lot of conversation around the word or practice specifically of evangelism anymore. That's interesting. Is that a, is that in your opinion, a good shift or is, are we losing something? Is there something wrong there? Well, you know, I don't have the stats handy, but Dave and John Ferguson will talk a lot about what we call the blessed practices. And it's an acronym for, you know, how we love our neighbors and community. And they've done a bunch of like global research to compare like the number of quote unquote conversions through either one, like a conversion method of evangelism versus a blessed method of evangelism. And the irony is that wherever they conduct these studies, the blessed version of evangelism is actually far more effective at conversions 
than like the conversion methodology. So I, I always find that interesting. So I don't, I, based on that data, at least I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing at all. It, it, it obviously depends on your understanding of evangelism. So I'm sure people are listening, thinking, but that evangelism isn't all clipboards at the mall, you know, like you right. and I have talked about. Um, but I think that there's an important dialogue around maybe expanding what that's actually really supposed to look like in a holistic, long-term kind of way. Well, let's do that. I think you're probably, um, some people out there are probably going, yeah, I totally get that. But you might be challenging and blowing some people's minds right now because a lot of us think only evangelism in terms of uh, crusades, right? Billy Graham crusade or something like that. Uh, Or like you said, how you and I have shared stories about taking questionnaires on beaches or to malls or whatever else it might be in our upbringing. Uh, How would you... Uh, expand, like you just said, that definition of evangelism or what, how would you describe to somebody what is the most effective uh, quote unquote evangelism in our day? Well, some of my language recall here is going to be fuzzy, but like the word evangelist evangelism comes from evangelion, which means, you know, the bringer of good news and the way that that would work historically. I think if I'm remembering this correctly, at least in the first century, if an army was off to battle and your kingdom won that battle, they would send someone, you know, via horse or something back to the nation, back to the kingdom to report that the battle had been won. They would, they were, they were called an evangelist. They would send them out in advance to say, Hey, good news. The battle's won. And I think in modern evangelistic circles, not all of them, but many of them, we have lost, I think the, the essence and bedrock of the good news portion of evangelism and made it a whole lot more about mic drops and hot takes and how can I back you ideologically into a corner versus, hey, do you know there's really, really good news in the universe? Mm. That by his incarnation, his life, death and resurrection, like God is making all things right and he invites you into the party. Like that, to me, is a much different tone than... Hey, next door neighbor who's a Muslim or a Mormon or a Buddhist, uh, let me tell you quickly why I think you're wrong and why I know I'm right. I don't know. If if that were done in reverse, I know that would leave a bad taste in my mouth. And that's yeah. always we read things like, you know, New Testament says, God, it's your loving kindness that leads us to repentance. I'm like, OK, mm-hmm. if that's the case, then if that's the methodology that God chose, <laughs> loving kindness, then maybe maybe that's an approach that we should take. Now, plenty of people would say, oh, sometimes the most loving thing I can do is to tell you really bluntly to your face. And that may be true, but I do think sometimes we excuse blunt, even terse behavior and call it loving because Mm. the end result or the end aim at the very least is like eternal salvation. So we justify conduct or methodology that's maybe less than helpful. And I don't know, I think it's worth a, a bigger discussion. Wow, that's really good. That's not where I thought we were gonna go, but that was really good. Maybe... Uh, in the 30 seconds we have left, you know, we read that verse, do the work of an evangelist, right? Like if there's someone I used to hate just even thinking about evangelism because I'm always scared to just walk up to somebody like you just said and just debate them or whatever. Right. Uh, what's one step somebody could take under your paradigm of doing the work of, of an evangelist? Is it just love your neighbor? Is it what, what would be one step that would encourage people? Yeah, I, I mean, I would definitely encourage people to consider the blessed practices. If I can just real quickly, the B is begin yeah. with prayer. L is listen, like listening to our neighbors. E is eat, which we can't really do right now, but sharing a meal, breaking bread with people. S is serve. It starts with serving them, right? And then it's not till the second S, which is story, which is sharing your story. It's, good. it's not until after you've done all these other things. And then evangelism, evangelism looks a whole lot more like 
Hey, can I tell you just about the work of Jesus in my own life and the difference it's made in me? I think sharing your story that way after you've done things like listen, ate with them, you've served them. I don't, to me, there's a, I just think there's a reason that's, that's proven really effective. That's really good. Thanks for bringing that up. You can Google the blessed practices, right? You said Dave and John Ferguson, but also Rick Richardson's written extensively on them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Dave and John actually have a book coming out in September about that. Oh, do they really? Well, there oh, you yeah. go. Yep. We'll have to get them on. And we'll talk blessed practices. So uh, coming up next, we're going to talk about a Facebook post uh, written by a Tennessee pastor. We're going to discuss that next on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thank you for joining us today on this Wednesday afternoon. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. Find us on Twitter at Common Good Talk. Find us uh, online, 1160hope.com, or find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, you can go back and find old shows, old interviews, both at 1160hope.com as well as our podcast. Ian, before we jump into this Facebook post that I wanted to discuss with you, uh, do you want to know something my family and I have been doing the last... Uh, Three nights. Let me tell you, I probably shouldn't let you guess. That'll get me in trouble. Yeah, but for sure, uh, uh, we have been we have watched the first three episodes of The Chosen. Wow, our friend Dallas Jenkins and we are really enjoying it. Not that I'm surprised, but you know Dallas was giving us a hard time for not having watched it. I thought uh, you told him on air that you had watched it. I had watched the first one or two, but now as a family, we've watched the first three together. Okay. Uh, and it's really, it's been really fun. Really enjoying it. Dallas. Good job. You got to come back on. <laughs> <laughs> I saw on Facebook, he is holed up and writing the next season right now, which is, uh, it got me thinking watching it last night. Like this would have been really hard to write. Like I'm really impressed. So it is really um, impressive writing. That's for sure. It is. It is. So if you've never seen the chosen, we would encourage you to do so. You should do that. And uh, Dallas Jenkins, who wrote it, is a uh, regular uh, guest here on The Common Good. So, hey, hey, before we move on, do you want to tell them about something great the station's doing? I already did that. I did that last time. Oh, right? did you? Can I you, did. Can you, can you tell them enough, though? Can I, I, will, I will gladly tell them again. Uh, <laughs> well, then go ahead. If you go to 1160hope.com slash open for business, for all of you out there, uh, who are trying to keep your businesses going, you are staying open, uh, you are uh, just trying to make it in this time of the coronavirus pandemic, uh, we want to compile a list and help you out. So go to 1160hope.com slash open for business. No catch. Just go there. We're compiling a list and uh, hopefully that will be of a help. We're really glad to do that. And like you said, we can't talk about that enough. True. It's almost like you improvised that. That was impressive. Read it enough by now. <laughs> Let me tell you, uh, you posted this, but a post from uh, it just says a post from a Tennessee pastor. So, you know, we believe everything we read online. So we're going to believe it's from a Tennessee pastor. It says that, that's this. not a good hallmark of the show. It says this. <laughs> I trust God and I wear my seatbelt. I trust God and I wear a motorcycle helmet. I trust God and there are enough life jackets in my boat for everyone on board. Hmm. I trust God and I use oven mitts with really hot dishes. Uh, I trust God and I lock my house at night. I trust God and I have smoke detectors in my house. I trust God and I take my prescribed medicines. I trust God and I will follow the best guidelines to share the task of flattening the curve. 
acting with caution and wisdom does not indicate a lack of trust in God. Uh, thoughts? Tell me what you think about that, and then we'll dive into it a little more. Uh, where do you think that's coming from? Why did this person write this, do you believe, in the first place? Oh, I think we all know why this person wrote this in the first place. I I would just be curious to know who really disagrees with this. I think it is interesting, and we've made the comparison, which at this point is probably a little tired, about the snake handlers from previous churches and church expressions past, you know, that would uh, claim some sort of like divine protection. Therefore they can handle snakes and not just handle snakes, but poisonous snakes in a worship service. And many of them died. So we've seen in the news, a couple of instances of protests. Uh, and again, they don't all go this far, but we've all seen the signs that say, Jesus is my vaccine. And we've heard the reports and the sound bites. And again, I don't want to make the claim that like, that's the majority of the protesters opinions right. or their theology. But it's happening enough, though, that it warrants, I think, some level of discussion. So what I find interesting about this, and it, like for me, it doesn't strike me as particularly controversial, but I would love to know if anyone listening actually has an issue with seatbelts, helmets, life jackets, oven mitts, door locks, smoke detectors, medicine, like that kind of stuff. And again, obviously, the medicine one maybe is the most... Yeah. Uh, widespread in terms of its controversy. I know I personally know a number of Christians who uh, do not take prescription medication because of a, a doctrinal conviction and wow, really? And they're, and they're smart, smart, educated people. So like, I don't buy the trope that they're, they're just uneducated or they don't have access to information. That's, that's really certainly not always, or maybe even often the case. Um, but what I do find interesting is the word trust here. And I wonder if you find any incongruity here between trust and still having precautions. Like, is there, is there an environment maybe where we say that we trust God and we actually don't because of the safety net that we provide for ourselves? Oh, that's a great question because I, I, because I think this is just, like you said, it's speaking to our time right now of people saying, uh, right. Very viral and famous, uh, clip from a couple of weeks ago of that lady driving in the church saying I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. So I'm not worried about getting sick or people around me sick. And you're like, mm -hmm. mm, I'm not sure that's the way it works. I think this is kind of where that is coming from right now. Um, but are there places where we don't trust? That's a great question. I hadn't thought about that. Um, I'm thinking any come to mind for you while I think about this, anything come to mind? I mean, it's probably more in a, in a general sense, but it's something that I've definitely shared with our leaders before that I think that saying we trust in God can become almost a habit that we say from the stage. And I had sort of confessed to some of our leaders a few months ago that there have been numerous situations where from a stage we say that we really we're, we're putting it in God's hands or we're fully trusting the Holy Spirit. But then behind the scenes, we've also sort of built a safety net in case God doesn't quote unquote show up. Interesting. And I was kind of, wanting to confess that to them because one, there's no way that a lot of them would have known anyway, but I think that can almost become a habitual behavior, particularly among pastors to talk a big game about trust and faith and open handedness. And we're giving it to God, but there's still like a, a part of our brain that like, ah, but we still want the event to go well, or we still want mm. people to show up. So sometimes I feel like we can veer into a lack of trust now, that's not to say that you shouldn't show, you know, make a Facebook event or create flyers. I don't think that shows a lack of trust, but 
I think it has a lot more to do with the heart level. I think people have a better sense in their heart whether or not they're actually trusting, and I think it's harder to assess in somebody else. You know, now, I think money is the first one that I jump to where we yeah. will often say in our own lives or as churches in general, like, uh, you know what, I, you know, think about being generous. Well, I'll be generous uh, if I have this much in reserve right, <laughs> or, right, right. or I try and, and, uh, and the call often in scripture, right. Is, um, you know, no, don't hedge your bets that way. Right. Um, at the same time, you know, there's prudence and stuff and that's where it becomes difficult to try to work those out. I do know oftentimes when I've had chances to travel outside the United States, go to, you know, we, we partner with this group in Rwanda. I had the pleasure to go there or to some other places right. And they speak of faith. It's certainly different. <laughs> it's certainly yeah, different. For sure. And, uh, and it is, it is, uh, it is not just encouraging, but it's challenging to me. And, uh, I think we should all be challenged in that way. So, uh, this post kind of funny, uh, kind of needles at those who have, uh, gotten some press, but I do think you, you raise a great question about what does it actually mean to trust God? Uh, and where, uh, do we, no pun intended, put our money where our mouth is. Well, uh, first hour in the books on this hump day. Uh, coming up next, we are going to talk about Pat Robertson and the 700 Club. Coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Coming up this hour, uh, some interesting words from Pat Robertson. Then we're going to talk about uh, what did a Harvard professor have to say about homeschooling? That's coming up next here on The Common Good. Everybody, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. We're really glad to have you joining us on this Wednesday. We know life is crazy these days. It's uh, it's still very different uh, as we all get used to this shelter in place. Maybe we are used to it now. It's been six weeks by now. Uh, but are you, uh, are you used to it? I think I kind of am. Huh. Like if tomorrow you went back to how things were, and I know it won't happen, but I think that would take some adjustment, don't you think? Like, I think right now I'm kind of used to the schedule. Interesting. Yeah, I don't I don't know that it would be an adjustment for me to go back just yet. Then again, you know, we have a one and two year old at home. So people are like, oh, my gosh, I can't go out. And I was like, we weren't going out anyway. So, yeah, I guess for me, if we went back to normal life, it would be um, it would come with it with like a lot of running kids here and there. And I think that's what I'm right. I'm I'm like, well, that, that that would be kind of whiplash all over again. But. Right. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Hopefully we get a chance for that someday to be able to figure out if it's hard. <laughs> and yeah, right. uh, you can find us on Facebook, the Common Good Radio Show, Twitter at Common Good Talk, online, 1160hope.com. And as always, get our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Thanks to those of you who have subscribed, uh, who rated and reviewed. Oh, by the way, you'll appreciate this. I play. I was playing our podcast for one of my kids and yeah. I showed them what we sound like at double the speed and then at half speed. And they thought it was so funny. <laughs> which, which was the bigger winner, double or half half. Yeah. 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 What did I tell you? <laughs> sounding really drunk, Brian and Ian. <laughs> mm-hmm. That is a pretty fun version of us. I'm not going to lie. It was funny. Uh, well, televangelist Pat Robertson, and I feel a little guilty reading this, but we're going to do it anyway. Uh, wow. Partially because Pat Robertson and the 700 club, uh, still has a huge following. Uh, lots of people still watch him, still watch that show. Uh, and so I do think it's important to discuss this. So let me read to you 
this background. Maybe some of you saw this clip, but let me read it. And then we'll talk about uh, where we might see uh, this to be problematic. Televangelist Pat Robertson, he agreed that abortion and same-sex marriage are partly to blame for the novel coronavirus that has caused massive social and economic upheaval in the United States. The 90-year-old, I can't believe he's 90, the 90-year-old Christian Broadcast Network founder suggested that God won't end the coronavirus pandemic until people, quote, turn from their wicked ways. You confess your sins and forsake them, then he heals the land. It's not before, Robertson said. Robertson's comments came during a segment in which he fields questions. On Monday, a viewer asked him about a popular Bible verse, 2 Corinthians 7, 14, and how it applies to COVID-19. The verse reads, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. The viewer asked, uh, how can God heal our land and forgive the sins when abortion and same-sex marriage are laws and many people are anti-Israel? Doesn't this prevent his healing and forgiveness? Robertson told the viewer, you are right. I think you put your finger on something very important. You know, the Bible says they turn from their wicked ways. We are not turning uh, when we have done terrible things. Uh, in his response, Robertson explicitly cited abortion and abuse of the poor as some of the reasons why God would hold us uh, guilty. So let me stop there. There's more to this. Uh, let me stop there. Uh, if you let's let's do it this way, instead of just asking you, what do you think? If somebody came to you and said, hey, I agree with them, Pastor, can you help me? Or I heard this and I'm wrestling with it. Can you help me work through this? What would you want to, the, the people, uh, the person you're talking to, to better understand? I'd probably just play our podcast at half the speed. And hope, <laughs> hope for the best. That's probably my methodology. Um, well, that's a tricky question. So obviously, uh, I mean, maybe it's not obvious. I don't agree with him. There are numerous instances in the Bible. In fact, you could argue this is almost central to the gospel story where God intervenes and heals and restores without any repentance, without any, I mean, there is, you think of even the Damascus Road experience of Paul, that there was no indication at all that he was like on his way to go clean his life up or join a small group or start giving to his local synagogue. Like God interrupts his path. And I think to create this sort of one-to-one pseudo ratio or equation, like, Hey, here's why these illnesses are happening because we have not, we have not upheld the moral standards that God has laid out for us. That's not to say that I don't, take sin very seriously. Uh-huh. And I believe that the Bible and God takes sin very seriously. But to equate that though as a rationale for why we're experiencing something like a global pandemic to me either paints a picture of like a really spiteful mean God who is like sending this virus to teach us a lesson or like a really petty powerless God that's like, well, you should have repented. Now my hands are tied while the entire world freaks out. I, Either of those explanations to me just fall so short of, and again, based on my limited understanding, I'm not in any way trying to propose that I have like a full grasp of the nature and character of God. It just seems incongruent with the the God that we see revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. So I, I, I understand feeling convictions around the stuff that we know breaks God's heart and it should, and it should concern us. Uh, but to draw a dotted or solid line between those behaviors and something like a global pandemic to me is 
is irresponsible. Yeah, it, it, part of the danger of his answer is even the viewer asked, uh, doesn't this mean that God can't, uh, it says, doesn't this prevent his healing and forgiveness? Kind of what you said that, well, because of our sin, God's hands are tied. Right. Um, and so, you know, again, uh, the 700 Club r- reaches 650,000 households watch the 700 Club every day, according to the Christian Broadcasting Network. No kidding. Wow. Yep. The network also maintains close relationships uh, with many politicians and such. Um this isn't the first time, right? Robertson and Jerry Falwell Sr. speculated on the 700 Club after the 9-11 attacks that God had allowed the terrorists to succeed because the U.S. had become a nation of abortion, feminism, homosexuality, and secularism. Um, and so it's not a new one. But I think you said that really well, man, that that it's such a dangerous road to go down, that God is just, um, you know, sending these things in order to uh, punish at all times when throughout scripture uh, we see God being gracious and God, gr- God showing grace when we don't turn <laughs> before we turn and before his people turn. Uh, and he also and, disciplines. That's also part of it though. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to pretend like that's not also a part of the equation. Absolutely. Well, here, let me ask you this then explain how you see the difference there. Then talk about discipline a little bit and, uh, and maybe how, uh, yeah, talk about when you say he also disciplines for people out there who are like, I'm not really sure what that means. Gosh, I, I mean, I, I think parenting metaphors have always been really helpful, and I'm new to this whole parenting game, so I'm certainly not the best voice in that regard. I think it was John Stott who said something like, God will often uh, loosen our grip on that which will ultimately destroy us in order to more firmly secure our grip on him. Like there is an idea that I think, and I've certainly – I've certainly walked alongside people who have experienced this where like, for example, money was their idol. It was the thing that they really clung to and they, you know, lost their job. And I'm not saying God made them lose their job, but used that though to loosen their grip on the love of money. And it brought them into a season of greater dependence on God and who he is. And their roots went down way deep in that season. And I think God most certainly uses some of those things and that to me is much, much different than saying this plague has been sent to us in order to teach us a lesson Good. because of the decisions we have or haven't made. And we could probably, if we had another hour, talk about common grace and special grace, but the idea that like he makes rain fall on both the wicked and the righteous, you know, there is a, a certain level of God's goodness that supersedes our behavioral alignments. And I just think we too quickly jump to like, the Moses Pharaoh narrative. I'm like, well, it's just that all over again. We're wicked people. And so God's sending us this to teach us a lesson to me. I just don't, that doesn't seem in line at all with what we see revealed in the new Testament and in the person of Jesus. And I just think we have to be really, really careful to, to not jump to those conclusions too quickly. Yeah. I think as we've been saying throughout this whole process, right, we live in a broken world uh, where these things are present. And what the good news is, is that God's still active. God's still present. Right. Uh, God is still involved uh, and we can turn to him. Like there's no, you know, one spot that they aren't wrong is that these types of things hopefully do wake us up and cause us to turn to God, but it's not so that he'll do something. Sure, it's right. uh, it just becomes a wake up call. Like you said a little bit. Um, anyway, we're going to put that up at our Facebook page. You can check it out. We'd love to know your opinion coming up next here on the common good. Uh, we're going to have my favorite a guest that we've ever had. I'm going to keep you in suspense, but stick around because my favorite guest ever is coming up next here on The Common Good. Hey, that smile, oh, 
Welcome back to The Common Good on AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us on this uh, rainy Wednesday afternoon. Uh, as always, you can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, on Twitter at Common Good Talk. Find us online at 1160hope.com and uh, find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Before I introduce a really, maybe my favorite guest we've ever had on The Common Good, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. let me tell you something that we're excited that the station is do- is doing. You know, during the coronavirus pandemic, uh, we know that so many businesses have had to close their doors or reduce their hours. And we also know that there are still many businesses that are open and serving the public as best they can. So here's what I want you to do. If you own a business or you run a business that's open and operating, we want to help you get the word out. So right now, go to 1160hope.com slash open for business. All one word, 1160hope.com slash open for business. Fill out the brief form and we'll be compiling all of that information and sharing it with our listeners. Totally free, no catch. Go to 1160hope.com slash open for business business. Uh, so as we teed up, we like all of our guests who come on now. They've they've all been pleasant through the 15, 16 months that we've been doing this. Uh, uh, most, most of them. <laughs> most yeah, of them. Yeah, we, we got to be honest on this show too, Brian. <laughs> we should run a poll. <laughs> That's a terrible idea. No, thank you. <laughs> uh, but undoubtedly, we are about to have on my favorite guest of all time. We are welcoming my 16-year-old daughter, Madeline Fromm, to the show. Madeline, we did not expect this, but thank you for joining us. Hi. So (laughs) nice to be on. (laughs) I think Madeline thought that whenever we did this, it would be in some glamorous studio. Instead, we are sitting next to each other in my bedroom right now because we are all... Uh, in our room, but we actually thought glamorous bedroom though. So yes, exactly. If you can see it right now, Uh, honestly, Ian and I've been talking about having, uh, we've been talking a lot about what is this like for uh, teenagers and kids uh, being, you know, leaving school and being quarantined. And so we thought what better uh, thing to do than to have on a teenager, a little background. Madeline is, uh, finishing up her sophomore year of high school. And so, uh, Mads, I would just start with this question, answer it any way you want. Uh, just what has all of this been like, to, you know, for the last five weeks uh, of just being home all this time? It's been sort of like a bunch of different phases almost. At the beginning, hmm. it was, oh, sweet, I don't have to go to school and wake <laughs> up early every morning. Right, right. Um, but now everything's sort of slowing down and it's more like, I miss hanging out with my friends uh, and having like more of a fast paced life um, and just doing more exciting things. <laughs> Are you saying being at home isn't exciting? Is that what you're implying? Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we need that question answered. It's just different. Uh, it's just different. Uh, so what has made it um what is what has made been difficult? And, you know, we could joke around like, yo, you know, being around my dad. But what is actually what are the hardest things over this process? Has it been uh, being pulled out of school? Has it been uh, that you haven't seen most of your friends in six weeks the way you're used to? Uh, or just is it all of that? What has been the hardest part of all of this? Probably a mix between um, like school and friend things because school's very different right now. It's more like 
do it on your own time, uh, teach yourself, which is really weird for me. Uh, and it's been kind of hard to like manage, like keeping everything, um, not losing track of your assignments and stuff. Right. Uh, but I do miss like actually hanging out with my friends. It's been nice to do like different zoom calls, uh, Google hangouts and like online game night type things. Um, but it's definitely not the same. Um, so we've been trying to make it, uh, the best possible that we can, but you know, it's, it's just, uh, weird not to be hanging out every week. Mm -hmm. Which we totally understand. I don't think that's a high school thing specifically. I think we're all sort of feeling the like, gosh, this just feels odd not being around people to the level that we used to. I'm curious though, on the other side of that, what have been the parts that you've maybe oddly enough actually really enjoyed? Like what have been some of your favorite parts of the last five or six weeks? Maybe even uh, things that surprised you like, wow, I did not anticipate enjoying this as much as I actually am. Um, even though we have like our, our moments, I've actually um, really enjoyed all this family time, uh, mm. like hang out with my siblings a lot more. Um, and my dad and my mom. <laughs> um, Is he paying you right now to say that? <laughs> <laughs> she knows. <laughs> um, but then just all the free time, I've had a lot more time um, for hobbies, um, like painting and journaling. And nice. it's been fun to watch movies and just have a lot more extra time to do things that I wouldn't normally be able to do. That's awesome. So I'm wondering... Uh, you and I have talked a little bit about this, but are you worried about what the future is going to be after this? Like, oh, is everything ever going to go back to normal? Or do you feel like it's just whenever this is over, it's all just going to go back to normal? For me right now, I feel like I've got the mindset that uh, once it's over, it'll go back to normal. Uh, I've got a list on my phone of all the things I want to do once <laughs> I can do things with my friends. Uh, so there's not going to be a shortage of ideas once I can see them. But um yeah, I don't know. I think it'll definitely be weird, but um, I don't know. I feel like it'll get back to normal soon enough after we can see other people. Okay, so here's here's what I've been dying to ask you since we talked about having you on. What advice would you give to other parents of students, maybe your age, younger, older? Like, what do you think other parents need to know about this really weird time? Because the thing that we're finding is like parents are navigating this just as much as anybody is. And there might there might be some things that you bring as a really unique perspective as a student. You're experiencing your own grief and your own frustration, your own disappointment. Like if you had, just imagine you're talking to a sea of a thousand parents of teenagers, <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. But like, what would you what would you say to them? What encouragement or challenge or hope would you give to them? I would say I'm. I think their their children need their support more than ever. Mm. But I also think that space is definitely really important. Right. Uh, I know some parents of my friends uh, have gone more of the strict route with enforcing uh, daily schedules and been a lot more um, uptight, I guess, about sure. that type of thing. Uh, but I think the freedom to sort of structure out your day uh, is a really positive aspect of all this. Um, and it's really like helped me become more responsible. And I've seen that with some of my friends, too, just prioritizing things, um, right. being able to choose all that. That's yeah, she's just really just sick of me asking her to go on walks is basically <laughs> what that answer was. But uh, uh, let me let's end this by asking this uh, in general, what do you wish uh, parents knew 
What's it like to be a high school kid right now? Not in this situation, but in general, even before all of this happened, we read all these articles about there being all this pressure on high school kids. Yeah, uh, right. Do you feel like there's lots of pressure? What do you wish we all knew about what it's like to be in high school right now? Um, I think there definitely is some pressure uh, in school and all that, but um, it's mostly just we're getting new amounts of freedom every day, especially with driving and all that. Um, and we want to have the space to explore that. Um, and in school and out of school. Um, and I think that some people don't understand that people my age are a lot, uh, pretty responsible, um, and can handle stuff. Um, but definitely like it, all the encouragement helps in saying like, you know, you don't have to do perfect you don't have to do everything absolutely as amazing as possible. Um, just like giving them like the support to know that they can mess up. Mm-hmm. Well, you did That's this really perfectly. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, real uh, quick. I've seen that we have like a minute left. What, yeah, what, would we, what would we be surprised to know about your dad that maybe? <laughs> go for uh, it. Go ahead. It's probably, totally fair game. Yes. I would say he's probably the main iced tea, unsweetened iced tea drinker in, in the world. <laughs> I think, yeah, he's probably keeps that industry afloat. <laughs> Ian is like, Ian knows that because I show up in the studio I every hear day. I drinking it. Yes, yes, every day with iced tea. We're out of time. I was going to ask you, what are you binge watching that you could tell Ian? What are the kids binge watching <laughs> these days? But hey, that was fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, my favorite uh, my favorite guest we've ever had. That is my 16-year-old daughter, Madeline, helping us. Well done. Yeah, hopefully understand what this is actually like for a teenager to be going through. So hopefully uh, that is helpful. Coming up next, we're going to talk about homeschooling and uh, get Ian's perspective on something that a Harvard professor said. That's coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. We really appreciate you joining us today. Hope that you're having a good day. Uh, You can find all the articles that we discuss. You can find them a couple different places at Facebook on our Facebook page, The Common Good Radio Show. There you can comment or read read some more of them. Uh, A lot of good discussion going on there. You can find it at Twitter, at Common Good Talk. Uh, You can find old shows at 1160hope.com. And as always, you can get our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Uh, Subscribe, rate, and review. And uh, as we always say, we're grateful for those of you who do do podcast. Uh, Why don't you tell somebody else about the podcast? We would appreciate that as well. Uh, Before, uh, I want to ask our resident homeschooler about something that was said about homeschooling by a Harvard professor Oh, but before we do that, why don't you tell us again about Thrivent? Yeah, man, Thrivent. So a Fortune 500 nonprofit who's been around for over 100 years, which in and of itself is impressive. A couple of things. I've been a Thrivent member for a long time. Highly, highly recommend at least checking them out, Thrivent.com. Plus, if you're looking for a career change, they're looking for really, really excited, uh, qualified people. And even if you don't have any experience in finances necessarily, if you're just kind of entrepreneurial, you like helping people, Thrivent.com slash careers is a great place to go. I mean, what's the harm? Just go and peruse it and see if it maybe doesn't fit what you're looking for. Plus, in uh, keeping with their ethos of giving back and providing resources, they got a whole bunch of really great webinars about parenting and dealing with stress and how do you maintain joy and dealing with quarantine and all that stuff. So we're posting those links on the Facebook page, The Common Good Radio Show. They're all free. 
and uh, they're going to provide a whole bunch more. They're working on one for marriages and for parenting. Really, really helpful resources in a time where I think a lot of us need resources. So again, highly encourage you, thriving.com, thriving.com slash careers. And uh, I think you'll be glad that you did. Absolutely. We're grateful for Thrivent and uh, good job on that read right there. Hey, thanks. Uh, so when I first read this article, I saw it on the news and I was reading a little bit more about it. I thought of you because you were homeschooled. Remind our audience and remind me you were homeschooled from when to when? Uh, sixth grade till last week. <laughs> so, uh, so you started in the public school and then ended up being homeschooled. Well, I actually and- started in private school. I did private school kindergarten first grade and then oh. public school second to fifth yeah you've done them all, I've done, I've done them all. I, wanted, I wanted a full spectrum experience you should have a military boarding school for junior high that should have been it but do i strike uh, you as someone who would do well in military boarding school no it strikes me as like a good robin williams movie where you're like the the rebel kid who like changes the Ooh. everybody you like it changes everybody around Ooh. you know I, mean? I like i like this let's continue with this storyline <laughs> uh, so a Harvard professor said something uh, that got a lot of news the other day about homeschooling. Now, a lot of us have homeschooling in mind right now as all of our kids have got, right. uh, you know, schools are closed now and they're doing this e-learning through the schools. And so a lot of parents are getting a feel not for what necessarily traditional homeschooling is, but a little bit more of a feel. Uh, and so let me read to you what this Harvard professor said. And I'm, I'm genuinely interested uh, as somebody who was homeschooled for many years, like yourself, uh, what you think of this? So let me read some of this. A Harvard professor has stoked controversy after she compared homeschooling to, quote, authoritarian control. In a recent Harvard Magazine article on the risks of homeschooling, Elizabeth Bartholet, Bartholet a a public interest professor of law and faculty director of the law school's child advocacy program at Harvard, reportedly claimed that homeschool violated, quote, children's right to a meaningful education and their right to be protected from potential child abuse, Hmm. arguing that the practice of homeschooling is mostly unregulated and rarely follows educational standards. She said that the children are at risk of being isolated, especially in states where parents do not necessarily have to register their children as homeschooled. This can, in turn, lead to underreporting of cases of child abuse or neglect. Uh, She said teachers and other school personnel constitute the largest percentage of people who report to Child Protective Services. Furthermore, the law professor asserted that homeschooling poses a threat to U.S. democracy, arguing that the practice limits children's exposure to not only democratic values, but also community values, social values, ideas, non-discrimination, and tolerance of other people's views. Uh, She said, from the beginning of compulsory education in this country, we have thought of the government as having some right to educate children so that they become active, productive participants in the larger society. Still, she acknowledged that parents should largely be able to raise their children in their own right, adding that she did not believe that allowing those children to attend school would somehow threaten the parents' influence over their children. Uh, I'll end it this way. She said, the issue is, do we think that parents should have 24-7 essentially authoritarian control over their children from ages 0 to 18? I think that's dangerous, she said. I think it's always dangerous to put powerful people in charge of the powerless and to give the powerful ones total authority. 
According to surveys she cited in the magazine, the majority of parents choose to homeschool their children out of a commitment to conservative Christian beliefs, though others have other reasons for doing so, such as concerns over bullying or the quality of education provided by local schools. There is a ton there, but I'm really actually am interested as somebody like you who has been homeschooled and who speaks of it in a very positive way. Uh, I'm guessing uh, that you've got some opinions about what she said there. <laughs> yeah. And I don't want to paint a picture like my homeschooling experience was perfect. Not, yeah. I was very fortunate that, I mean, both my parents are rock stars and they're, they're both incredibly intentional, smart, well-read patient. I mean, and again, we had our off days the way that every family does for sure. And we had our struggles and complications. And I would love to know how my siblings felt about it. Being the eldest that I had a different kind of environment than the youngest I'm sure did. Um, but, but for me, a couple of things kind of missed the mark in, in these responses, because one, it does, it shows a massive distrust of the average American for sure. Like yes. that, that is really, really obvious. The other thing that I've been really grateful for is my parents' intentionality around recognizing some of the social deficit of homeschooling and helping counteract that through other means. We had co-ops that we were part of. We had our church youth ministry we were part of. We played in bands and sports. Like we, A lot of the concerns that are listed here, we solved through other means, and we were able to do both. And one of the reasons that I think my siblings and I not only get along so well, and again, not perfectly, but there's just a, there's like a legitimate like love and affection for each other into adulthood. But I also think my siblings are remarkable at like thinking critically and weighing both sides. And that's something that was really instilled in us. My, my, my parents, both of them were very intentional about helping us see with a wider lens, what education could be. Like, for example, I'd be at my grandpa's house and he would show us how an engine worked for a few hours. And so we would come home. And I remember saying something like, oh, man, I, I probably got a bunch of schoolwork to do now, don't I? And my mom was like, well, did you did you learn while you were at grandpa's? And I was like, yeah, we learned a lot. She's like, OK, well, then you're done for the day. That's education. <laughs> and, and I was yeah. like, to my little 10-year-old brain, I was like, what? That qualifies? And it created for us a real like affinity for and affection for learning at all times and like not just seeing that as happening as something that happens in a classroom or it doesn't matter if it's not on the test or – you know, things that I know that they, those can exist in public and homeschool situations. But there's a lot that I credit to the way I think and see the world now to my parents and siblings influence in homeschooling that I'm incredibly grateful for. That's cool. I, you know, I grew up in the public schools my whole uh, life until college and both of my parents worked in the public schools and I thought that was awesome. And homeschool, mm. I know so many people like yourself and other people who had great experiences. Like you yeah. said, none of them are perfect either in the right. public school or homeschooling. Right. Uh, this article, what really scares me about her quotes is her view of parents, right? Like yeah. uh, it's always dangerous to put powerful people in charge of the powerless. Like if that's how you see parenting, yeah. uh, right. right, that is that is maybe really the, the most scary thing in here that the government should have more control about what our kids are educated on. Um, well, and obviously there's shady parents too. Like we get that. That's absolutely. That's rap. Absolutely. And, and uh, we need to watch out for that, but, but to paint this broad brush about parents, I think this is dangerous. I, my guess is uh, this will have some strong opinions uh, as we put this article up on our Facebook page, but you can uh, go. We'd love to know what you think. Go to our Facebook page yeah. and let us know what you think. Well, coming up next, 
Uh, we're going to lighten the mood a little bit here. We're going to go interweb insanity, crazy stories from the Internet. It's how we finish our show every day. And that's how we're going to finish our show today, right here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the Internet. <clears throat> Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Well, that music can only mean one thing. It's uh, interweb insanity. It is the time where at the end of the show every day, uh, Ian and I read stories sight unseen given to us by our executive producer, Keith Conrad. And uh, we usually laugh at these. We usually laugh at the sounds. Uh, sometimes they, they make us cringe, but I feel like we're going to go perfect. We're going to have a perfect game today of a good, wholesome, funny stories. Although now that I see Ian's going to read the first one and it's from Florida, I'm worried. Mm-hmm. But why don't you go? Yeah, your your worry is warranted. Out of Florida, <laughs> woman stabbed boyfriend during argument over undelivered packages. A woman stabbed her boyfriend to death. Oh, my God. Oh, no. We're starting with murder, Keith. Murder. I mean, not murder, Keith. Murder, comma, Keith. Anyway. <laughs> At their apartment on Holden Avenue during an argument over him failing to deliver packages for her business, according to the Orange County Sheriff's Office. Is the business murder? Natalie Ruth Moyes, 21, faces a charge of second-degree murder in uh, in the Tuesday afternoon killing of Angelo DeSaint, 27, in an apartment complex just west of Orange Blossom Trail. A witness told deputies the couple lives there with their one-year-old daughter and DeSaint's elderly mother. Oh, my gosh, this is terrifying. Awful. The witness stepped outside briefly. When he went back inside, he discovered DeSaint had been stabbed. According to the report, DeSaint gave the witness his cell phone and asked him to take a picture of the wound in his chest. According to Moise's arrest report, Moise was standing nearby holding a kitchen knife. The report states the saint ran from the apartment and collapsed in the, uh, the concrete breezeway outside. He was taken to Orland, Orlando Regional Medical Center where he was pronounced dead about 5 p.m. Moise is being held without bond. He's terrifying. I think it's just going to get better from here. It's just got to get better. How could it, how could it not? <laughs> that story was hard. Washington State police wrangle loose cow that tried to ram passing cars. Huh. Uh, police in Washington State said they wrangled a loose cow that was running wild through traffic and attempting to ram passing cars. The Kennewick Police Department said officers responded to a report of a cow on the loose Tuesday. The cow was running through traffic and was trying to ram the cars. Police were able to wrangle the cow into an enclosed backyard with the help of some witnesses. The animal was taken away by its owner, police said. Don't kid yourself, Jimmy. If a cow ever got the chance, he'd eat you and everyone you care about. Now, wouldn't it be funny if one of the cars it hit was a Dodge Ram? (laughs) That would have been funny. Can we just add that into the story as if it's true? (laughs) That's a good one. Okay, out of India. Uh, Indian cops use giant tongs to nab people breaking coronavirus lockdown. The photo is very uncomfortable. It is. Cops in India want, oh, it says COVIDiots. Is that a thing? <laughs> it is now. Officers have started to employ a bizarre new crime-fighting contraption to safely round up coronavirus lockdown violators. A giant set of tongs attached to a five-foot pole. Yikes. <laughs> A video demo shows a cop putting the tong-like contraption around a volunteer, locking the circular end around his waist and extending the pole to keep a safe distance. Great equipment, great drill, the force's director general of police tweeted, hailing the, quote, unique way of tackling non-cooperative corona suspects and curfew breakers. Oh, yes, it was horrible, I tell you. You do have to look up that picture. That picture is crazy. Looks like a Uh, weird workout video or something. It does. Next one's out of Australia. Uh, oh, are you kidding me? Uh, 
sign warns, quote, mystery human pooer to stop defecating on garage. Mm. An Australian resident posted a sign warning a mystery human pooer that cameras were being put up to discourage defecation on their property. The sign, which went viral after being posted to Reddit, is addressed to a mystery human pooer who has allegedly been leaving the poop next to the uh, the home's garage in Merrickville, a Sydney uh, suburb. We have installed this fence and a camera to hand over to the police, the note reads. We understand that COVID-19 is tough on everyone, uh, but please stop doing this on our garage. The sign includes directions to a nearby public toilet. Hi, ho neighborinos. Oh, boy. We're struggling today. It's a struggle. <laughs> yeah, this is these this segment perfectly mirrors the weather outside. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just like gloomy, awful. Okay. Arizona. Pregnant woman runs into Arizona Road to rescue six foot snake. Oh, uh-huh. that's positive-ish. A pregnant Arizona woman is being praised online after she was caught on camera rushing into the middle of a road to rescue a snake. Tawny Rout said she was driving back. To her Rimrock home after a trip to the grocery store when she spotted the six-foot snake in the middle of the road. It was the biggest snake I'd seen in a while, which, if it were me, would be followed with, so I ran the other direction. <laughs> Witness Sky Goo captured... Sky Goo? Is that a thing? what it says, yeah. All right, well. Captured video of Routes using her flip-flop to catch the snake while talking to her husband on her cell phone, which she held between her face and shoulder. <laughs> Routes said her husband met her at the scene, and together they took the serpent, a gopher snake, to be released near their home. It was too pretty of a snake to kill or anything, Rout said. Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? Those are two interesting names. Tawny Rouch and Sky Goo. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a band name if I've ever heard one. Last one uh, is out of Colorado. More garbage trucks catching fire as homeowners clean out uh, clutter. If you are doing some extra spring cleaning around the house during stay-at-home orders, be careful what you throw away. Waste management says it's seeing an uptick in garbage truck fires, likely due to more people tossing out hazardous materials. Items like batteries, pool chemicals, paint thinner, uh, lighter fluid, and propane tanks can ignite or explode due to friction when they're smashed down in the trucks. Coals and ashes can remain hot for several days as well. (laughs) They can cause a fire in your trash bin. Or in the trash truck. Who can take your trash out? Stop it down for you. Shake the plastic bag and do the twisty thingy too. The garbage man. Oh, the garbage man can. Consider that your public service announcement for today. And by your even necessary. By your what? I thought maybe you didn't know that was the case that all those could still ignite, but apparently they can. <laughs> Well, it's been a fun show, like you said. Hopefully a little bit of sunshine in the midst of a gloomy weather day. We hope you had a great day, and we hope you join us tomorrow on Thursday from 4 to 6 for Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life.